Face Podcast with Pete, Craig and Rick. Welcome back again, everyone, to the Footy Feast podcast, the place to tune into if you're hungry for more footy content. How are we this week, fellas? Very good. Pretty uneventful week. I went to visit the brother in Wyala. So that was Wyami. Wyami nice- for those natives, Rick. Um, so that was a nice little weekend away. Um, got to watch a whole lot of football and talk football with him. So I should have a lot to bring to the table this week. Rick, tell us about your life demolishing a perfectly good house. So, first of all, there will be a shout-out for Wyami later on, but we'll get to that. Um, so, for me, this week's been actually pretty busy. So, I'm at Craig's right. I'm not demolishing. I'm actually finishing up now, getting close to finishing my house, been working flat out, just trying to get it all done before the baby's due. So, that will be good. Probably got two weeks of renos left, and then I am done, and I'll never renovate ever again, boys. So, I'm actually feeling pretty good. So, the renos are going to be done just before the baby shower. Now, oh, just before the baby shower, but there'll be seven weeks before the baby's born, hopefully. Nice. All right, moving on to the finals last week. It was quite a good final series. Uh, it's been a few years since we've had some close games like that, especially all the games being quite close and enjoyable to watch. So, um, do you guys get to watch much of the finals on the weekend? Um, I watched the Brisbane-Richmond game. Um, to be fair, for a finals game, it was probably one of the best games of football I've watched. It was goal for goal. It was super contested. Um, it was actually a really good game just on the eyes. Both teams, obviously, it's finals. They're both super hungry. It's pretty disappointing that uh, the third umpire had such a major impact on this game. That's a topic for another time. But either way, the Richmond-Brisbane game was really good on the eyes. Did you guys watch that one? I did sit there and watch the Richmond-Brisbane game. I actually had my father with me on that one, which was uh, different to watch football with him. Usually, I watch him... Um, at the port games where I sit with him and he just criticises umpires all day. So that sounds familiar, like <laughs> Rick um, was saying. It must be a port fan thing. But actually, I have some choice words for the umpires coming up later anyway. I might have to break my no swearing rule. Um, high scoring game. Tom Lynch was well held by Harris Andrews for most of the night. And I think shutting out Shire Bolton was massive for Brisbane. But really, the reason Brisbane won was Lockie Neal. Like that is arguably one of the best finals games I've ever seen. If there was a Norm Smith medal, he would have got the 3-2 and 1 votes. Um, His stats, stats were pretty, pretty it was elite. Fucked. He just won every clearance and every contested ball, and he was playing on another level to everyone else out there. Like, yeah, he, he was the game changer. Oh, it, it, was in, it was amazing to watch. Like Just watch him. If you just watch the highlight package of his effort that night, no, no Richmond could stand up to him like, Dusty was 50% fit. Dusty at his best would would obviously equal that. But yeah, he was another level to everyone else out there and he dragged him over the line single-handedly. And they didn't um, they didn't try to shut him down until the, the last quarter, but it was too late. Yeah, Melbourne have already come out and said that they're going to tag him. Yeah. He'd have to tag him. Although if, if he's going to have another another bloody game like that, you've, you've got to tag him. You'd be silly not to. Yeah, like I just remember back to that Frio game they played Richmond and he won that clearance late that went to Monday and he kicked the winning goal. Like he has the ability to just be clean and and just in the right spots. Like they didn't even have a Ruckman all night because McInerney broke his nose, broke his like nose the first and went off minutes. in the first six minutes, which, fun fact, was the earliest time a medical sub was used all year. Um, so he was sharking off Gorn and Jackson all night. So he was going off unplanned Ruck taps all night and got the equal most clearances in a finals game ever. 
So elite effort. That's what I that's what I always remember from that game. Um, I've also got one more player that I only just remembered about, but Charlie Cameron in the forward line, whenever the ball gets goes near him, the defenders shit their pants and they do not know what to do. And if he's not kicking the goals, he creates opportunities just because the opposition defenders are petrified. They do not want to give him an inch. They mob him like so he'll like at points there were three defenders trying to go and stop him because he's so fast and dangerous. And then he could just dish it off. Oh, he was still good enough to like at one point he literally like hugged the boundary line, ran around a player, dodged another player and kicked the goal in the goal square. Like Charlie Cameron is like his best football is like so beautiful to watch for a small forward. Any small forward in the AFL should be watching him and that's what you want to be. I forgot about his performance, but I agree with everything you said. He was, with Lockie Neal, instrumental. He was amazing. And there's another small forward we'll talk about in another game coming up, which was equally as brilliant. And then also with um, <clears throat> when Danaher kicked that goal, there was about six Richmond players in the square that went up for the ball. And I, I don't know if you guys saw the, the screenshot of it, but it looked terrible for how... He got the ball over the back of that pack in the goal square, basically on the goal line in the crunch time of the game is beyond me. I, it looked it looked terrible. I, I lost in the game. There's a few crunch moments coming up in uh, the Collingwood-Geelong game, which we will talk about moments of uh, fortune, we would say. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. It shouldn't. They shouldn't have won. Top Lynch shouldn't have missed that point, but he was lazy, and that's what you get for being lazy on a million dollars a year. You get a point to win the game, and then Joe Danaher, who did nothing all night, goes down the other end on 700k a year and kicks the winner. Like, it's easy as that. That's football. All right, next one was Melbourne and Sydney. Good game. I believe at this point in time, I was sitting there thinking, sucked in, Rick. I have two tips, and you have none. Because um, I tipped Sydney and I also tipped Brisbane and Rick tipped Richmond and Melbourne. So I was feeling really good about myself at this point of the weekend. I'm lucky I didn't message Rick to say I'm up 2-0 because, as we all know, it ended up 2-2 in the end. So, um, yeah, I'll, I was pretty comfortable Sydney would beat Melbourne. Um, I don't know how many podcasts you have to go back where I said Melbourne can't win it, but I declared that really early. I just didn't think they were anywhere near the form they should have been. And Sydney, they're bowling. Like to put it in NBA terms, they are they just dominant, like in all areas of the ground. And Buddy Franklin had a shit game and they still won. So, you know, like I think while Sydney winning is a, a big talking point, I think Melbourne's a bigger talking point. Like, did it, you guys saw it? Yeah. Yeah, I watched the game. Um, you're going to bag me because I talk about him every week. Oh, but here I was, we go. I was watching with one of my mates who's not a huge football supporter. He pretty much will only watch Crow's games and, like, he's still not a passionate supporter. And at the very start of the game, I said, number 13 for Melbourne is the best player in the AFL. And after the game, he said, number 13 is easily the best player out there. Um, Clayton Oliver did his part. But like we said, Sydney are just rolling right now. Like, they're an absolute dangerous club. They can pile on a big score. Like, their defensive accountabilities are pretty good. And like I said, like, I still think Melbourne are a good side. Um, and what they've done to Melbourne is just, like, it's crazy to think that Sydney, who, like, last year they climbed up the ladder. This year they're doing one step better and they actually look like they could win the whole lot this year. I think they have a good balance of young and old. I think that's what I find with them. Like, Tom Patley, Tom Patley, Tom Papley is experienced. Um, they got some experience down back in Rampy through the middle. They got 
Oh my god, they got Luke Parker through the middle. So they got experienced and good experienced players all over the ground, um, which helps the youth come through. If they just do their job every week, then it makes it easy for these kids to to break out and be X Factor and yeah, do do what they need to do. So by yeah, allowing having the experienced players there, the kids shine. Their superstar players don't want to like hog the glory either. Like Callum Mills will do whatever Sydney need. He'll go play fullback. He plays on the wing. He plays in the midfield. He doesn't care about getting all these accolades. He cares about winning. Just the same with their other players. Like, all their players are just so unselfish. Like, even their young players, like with X Factor, like Chad Warner, like, if he can't kick that goal, he will find a pass. Like, they're not greedy. They don't blaze away for no point. Like, they're a United club there to win as a collective. And I think that's a part of the difference, whereas other clubs... uh They've got a few players like trying to carry the team on their back. Like Melbourne's success is off of their dynamite midfield. Like they have Max Gorn, Oliver, Petrarca. They do all the heavy lifting. Whereas like a team like Sydney, they're playing a nice team game and everyone's playing their role more. Well, when Mills and who's the other one there? Parker have 11 tackles each. They're doing the heavy lifting. So these other players like Warner and that can shine and, and Blakey and and use their foot skills, Rowbottom, another one, like eight tackles. Like they're just hard-nosed and they work for each other. And I think that's the difference that I noticed. But we need to talk about the elephant in the room, Rick's boy, not Clayton Oliver, Luke Jackson. When you are starting Ruckman for the Melbourne Demons in a final, you need to do better than seven disposals and 13 hitouts. Also, one mark. You are a liability out there. And you need to do better than that with the old mate Ben Brown who had seven touches also and one goal. If you're going to get paid $850 million, $850 million, wow, that would be a lot, $850,000 a year at Fremantle to be a second Ruckman key forward, you need to do better than 13 hitouts, seven disposals and one mark. You, The tall blokes were a liability. Um, Max Gorn is not a full-time forward. And if he is going to play full-time forward, you need to know that your Ruckman can hold his own. But Jackson was just poo out there. So he concerns me slightly. I know he had a great game final game, but how long can we hold on to that for? Agreed. All right, the next, uh, or any rebuttal there? Because you're a Luke Jackson fan. No, you can't rebuttal that because it's fact. Yeah, it is a fact. Like, he obviously hasn't played a good game. He's also, what, 20 years old? Like, cut him some slack. Nah, you told him he had an awesome grand final and you've pumped it up all year. Well, guess what? It's another final and you played shit, Luke Jackson. So about time you step up this week. So he needs to redeem himself this week. He'll hear this and he'll he'll step up, like you're saying, and he'll probably be better next week. Well, we found out we found out last week that he's alongside Selwood winning the flag and the rising star. So he's not living up to that, is he, like this year? Crunch time in the finals. He's had a pretty average year, I reckon, by his standards. Um, I'm not going to say not yet this time because Dustin Martin really screwed that comment up by me. <laughs> he did. All right, next one is Collingwood the other, Geelong. Yeah, the, uh, the sore spot for Craig. Oh, it is sore. If you sat there with me watching it, there was a lot of swearing going on. Um, it was frustrating watching stupid things happen. Brody Majek. Oh, my God, I don't know what happened to you as a football player. Whether you're scared Dan McStay is going to come in and steal all your glory, like, you have been crap the last three weeks. And I messaged my mate James, and I was like, my check is killing us up forward. And he did kill us up forward with his mate, Mason Cox, who, like Luke Jackson, he had one good finals game, but guess what? 
there's more than one game in an AFL career and you need to step up again, mate, because you have been crap. Yeah, I don't even know if I really want to talk about it, but we can. I thought I thought we had it in the bag. Jordan Degoe, oh my God, I'm glad we're putting his four-year deal back on the table because I don't want to lose him. He is our best player by a country mile. Pete and I were talking about this off-air. You, He is the type of player that you give a million dollars a year to. And the thing is, like, he's just a genuine match winner. Like, looking at these stats, he had 26 touches, two kick, two goals, nine tackles, 465 metres gained. That's, like, the best of the best. And Collingwood is still trying to give him a contract with conditions. Like, he needs conditions, man. He's an idiot. Like, but he wins games. But he wins games. So, idiots who win games do get paid. And apparently, we've put a four year deal back on the table for him. Yeah, two still years got conditions with two years of if you're a good boy for two years you'll get the other two years at 900,000 a year so he's going to get paid he just needs to not stuff up which is not a hard ask when you're a professional footballer in their job because we all make mistakes in our job so apparently you know, the stinky saints have offered him a longer deal with more money well he can go to the stinky saints and be irrelevant or he can stay in the team that has had the highest crowds all year and play in front of 90,000 people, 100,000 people every week. Like, make your choice. But if he's, if he's going to get 900K at Collingwood for four years, how much more is a St. Kilda deal? How much more they're offering? Oh, they didn't actually say the exact amount, but it was a longer deal and more money. But Jordan Degoe has said he wants to stay at Collingwood. Could, why, why would, yeah, if you're only going to get paid a, like a little bit more, why, why go to a club where you're not going to be in the finals window Yeah, at all? the Saints are stinky. Like, I would not want to go there. If you give me one and a half million, I'll shelve that for the premiership and all the sponsorship deals. You're going to get, oh, no one watches a St. Kilda ad with Jordan Degoe in it. You watch a Collingwood ad with Jordan Degoe. Okay, you can have way more money. We got Adidas. We got whoever else you want. Like, sponsorship and money comes through the door at Collingwood. At St. Kilda, you have to fight for every dollar. Bad, bad off-season, bad off-field move. Slightly off topic, but like LeBron going to the Lakers was for sponsorship, like marketing dollars. He gets paid quadruple what he gets in a contract at the Lakers in sponsorship dollars. Yeah, all's and all endorsements. Yeah, you go off to bloody Milwaukee or the middle of nowhere, you're just going to get your contract and a little bit extra. Like LeBron's not stupid. He went there and yeah, and Jordan Ngoi would be stupid to leave a big club with the endorsement dollars to go to the Stinky Saints. Um, back to the game. Uh, what stood out? Gary Rowan played a good game finally. Dickhead. Well, that mark was above. Like, oh, my God. you got to pull one out to win. No worries. We pulled him out all year to win, so we're used to it. But that was stiff. Jeremy Cameron, he's a star. Um, he kept him in the game early. Um, who else had a good game? What else did you see, boys? Um, Tom Atkins, good player. Just works hard all day. In the last quarter, he had another 12 touches. Just wheels him over the line. And Zach Guthrie, oh, my God. You are... Not even getting a game most weeks, but you played the game of your life on the weekend. And my hat goes up to you. Oh, I don't even know. Collingwood should have won that, and they didn't. <laughs> I mean, you're up early. But I was just thinking, was the team who was in front at quarter time in every game, did they lose? Western Bulldogs yes. were up five goals nil to Fremantle. They Fremantle were up. come back and won. Melbourne were up in their game first. Richmond was up early. They jumped Brisbane, I'm pretty sure. And then Collingwood jumped Geelong and lost. So everyone that won was leading early and jumped the other team, ended up getting run down. So no one's talked about that in any other podcast. You heard it first on the footy feast that, fun fact, you don't want to be leading. Well, uh, moving on to the last game and speaking of time in front, when I was watching the game, came up, uh, 
when Dockers finally hit the lead, or sorry, equaled the score, 96 minutes the Bulldogs were in front for before the Dockers even equaled the score. So, um, There's only two words I need to say about that game. Caleb Sarong, you are one sexy mother. Peter beep this word out, fucker. Um, that game by you when the chips were down for a 21-year-old who didn't have a game of his life in the grand final, just a hard worker, backs it up every week. Oh, him and Brayshaw, like, they're elite. If you are any club, if you're the Crows right now, you're sitting there like, and I'd love to have Brayshaw Sarong leading my team. Any team that's in the, didn't make the finals this year, those two are just going to carry it. They're just, they're just animals. And they, after the game, their celebrations were amazing. Just walking around like high-fiving and chest bumping and like Sarong's flexing. Fuck, it was amazing. And then um, Michael Walters. Speaking of small forwards, Rick, earlier you talked about Charlie Cameron. He he got them back in the game when they couldn't score a goal. He was polished and he was he was the Michael Walters of old, who I know my brother was, I was sitting next to him and he wanted Walters gone all year. He was like, get rid of that guy. But for, you got rid of him, you would have lost that game as well. Yeah, but you're just talking, once again, you're talking about a player who pulls one really good game out of nowhere. Like, Condole's- He's had a good career, though. His career, he has stood up many times. Yeah, like, credit to him. Like, he pulled out a good game and played well. And he has, I think it was two years ago, he was an animal for the entire year when he was playing more midfield. But, like, he's just one of these players who's inconsistent. Like, he's not good enough to tie Charlie Cameron's boots. No, not right now he isn't because he's, like, 33 and old, but- on his day, he's a match winner. And in finals, he stepped up and had a match-winning game in finals. And that's all you need to do. You can nurse him through the year. And then if he comes out in the finals and goes bang and wins you it, then happy dates. But do you guys watch this one or not? Yeah, I did. Oh, I Who got to talk watch- about your player card, Pete? Do you want to talk about your player card? Well, I was just about to mention him. Even Excellent. though the even though the dogs lost, Bontempelli, um, I only got to see- I saw a little bit of the uh, a little bit of the game, but then um, got to see the last quarter at least. But checking the scores and all that, halftime, Pontepelli was on like 105 fantasy points. He'd already kicked two goals, 18 disposals. Like it was, he was elite. He fought hard um, for that. But you know, there was a few few dogs players that did play play well, but at the end of the day, just couldn't get it over the line. Which is, you know, if you when you're five goals up in a in a final, if you if you blow that and lose it, well, you certainly don't deserve to go through the next finals. I thought Bontempelli, again, at least for the first half, was in a class of his own. The stuff he was doing was just... There's only a few players I've seen do that this year. Patrick Cripps is one that comes to mind who just just explodes, wins the clearances, does the tackles, kicks the goals, just stands up and just dominates parts of games. He dominated that part of the game. Problem is, he didn't have any friends. Jack McRae does what Rick says, just his crap little kicks around and kick handballs. Josh Dunkley laid 14 tackles, so he he helped Montempelli, but the two of them didn't have help. Um, um, just before you go too far, um, I just want to shout out to Montempelli. So the most impressive game I've ever watched is I think it was two years ago now 
It was here at Adelaide Oval, and it was absolutely pissing down with rain. And Marcus Bontempelli was running around the port players like they were traffic cones in the wet, literally just clunking marks like it was hammering down. He just took every mark. He nailed every kick. Like He was acting like it was a dry day of football out there while everyone else is fumbling the ball around and couldn't even pick it up off the ground. Like he, like Craig said, he's a special player. When Bontempelli's on, he's one of the best players in the AFL. Yeah. 100%. He's, they obviously played him a little bit more forward. Well, they played him forward a lot more this year than they did last year, but he is just one of them players that you know what you're going to get week in and week out. Even his flaw of a game is good, and it's good enough to contribute to the team. Even um, he just goes out there every week. You know what you're going to get from him, but he also has them games where he just absolutely just sends it to another level. And this is definitely one again. Even though Freeman won, he would be in the votes because he was a freak early. Um, Alex Pierce, shout out. He held my boy Aaron Norton to a real crap night, and he's the other one that can elevate the dogs and take a grain by the scruff of the neck, like he did with the final last year versus Port, um, where he just dominated that that first half. Were you there with me, Peter, watching that? What was that one? The Port. Bulldogs final? Did we go yeah. to that? Yeah, yeah we did. and Norton yeah. just dominated that first quarter. We were just sitting there like, wow, he's on another level. I reckon we um we sat we sat behind the goals that game, I reckon. Yeah, and yeah, because we, we saw Norton take that hanger. He just dominated that first quarter like Bontempelli did, but unfortunately too many passengers. Trelaw played an okay game. Bailey Smith, nowhere to be seen. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Bailey Smith dominated Port that game you're thinking of last year. He kicked three goals in the first quarter against us. Yeah, there was about 10 goals kicked against Port in that first quarter. Everyone got in on the fun that night. Um, today, this game here, he he didn't do much. He was out there. Um, he had 616 metres gained from 20 disposals. Yeah, which is just a lot of long bomb kicks. You can do them too. Tim English got dominated in the ruck. I'm glad that Sean Darcy went out there and just took him to task because... Um, He's clearly a way better ruckman than Tim English is. 47 hitouts, and Tim English got 20. So back in your box, Tim English. You got dominated by a bigger, stronger man. Yeah. Great game to watch. I will watch it again one day because I just really enjoyed watching Frio come back because I don't really like the Bulldogs at all. So that solves that. What's next? That was a long segment. Listener questions. Okay. Yeah, you said it, listener questions. Now, I'm going to kick straight off the bat. I've got one that I got sent to me during the week. I think it's a pretty good question. Uh, This one comes from Scott Wilson. So, he says, You see the same coaches bouncing around from team to team, some with little or no results at any club. There has to be some fresh blood waiting in the wings. Do you think that club boards are too risk-averse when they're looking for head coaches? (laughs) That is a very loaded question. Um, from Rick's mate. So, Pete's mate. You can edit this, Pete. It's all good. Um, are they too risk adverse? No, because if they were too risk adverse, someone would have hired Ross Lyon years ago because he is the safest coach out there. You know what you're going to get from him. He's going to take you to finals. He's going to put a disciplined game plan in and he's going to win you games. So, in, Sorry, in fairness, he did send to me that Ross Lyon is the exception in this case. Fine. Yeah. You wish you told me that before I just answered the question and dominated the question. Um, 
because Rick and I were talking about this before the podcast. Okay, well, tell me, tell me what and you came to the conclusion. We were of. saying they're pussies. Like seriously, like SNN <laughs> have come out and said that they want Ken Hinckley. Ken Hinckley did nothing for poor. Look what Collingwood did. They come and took Craig McRae from nowhere, and he's taken Collingwood from seventeenth to a premiership threat. That's through coaching. Like, and what Essendon sacked their coach? Who, yeah, he was a spud. And now, what you're going to bring in another spud? No way. Like, you punt. Like, yeah. So, like, there is an exception. Like Ross Lyon. Like, he's a legitimately good coach that was sacked because they took a gamble on another coach. So, like, unless you are getting someone of that caliber who you knows a stud, why wouldn't you punt on someone like you, Craig McRae, and someone like the clubs are way too like lenient, like soft in this space. So the, here's a question. We were talking about this before the podcast with Rick. You're a club that needs a new coach and you're going to look at Ken Hinckley. Ken Hinckley has been coaching at Port Arley for 10 years. Yes, he might be a good coach at another club. However, he hasn't won them a flag, which is ultimately what you want your club to do. So would you bring in a coach who in 10 years of an AFL coaching career has not won a flag or do you take a punt on a coach that is coming through that – well, if he takes ten years to not win a flag, uh, doesn't win a flag in ten years, well, you're in the same boat. You, you are. You're banking on the fact that what they bring to the table is structure, discipline. That's what you're getting from these coaches like Ken Hinckley and whatnot. Um, his game plan has gone off the boil in the last couple of years. He's lost it, um, but his first. Half a dozen years were exceptional at Port. Um, but there's only a few coaches who you can take that gamble on in that regard. You need to cast a net far and wide, but they don't always work. There's more coach, There's plenty of coaches that wash out. Like out of the last however many years, Alistair Clarkson won four of those flags. Damien Harwick's got three. So that's seven of the last 10 grand finals. So like there ain't many coaches out there with flags. It's not an easy thing to win. John Longmire's got one or two. So does Worsfold's got, or not Worsfold, Simpson's got one. Like, it takes time. They don't just come overnight. Chris Scott being the exception, inherited an amazing list and won one straight away, but as an untried coach. But, like, there's some coaches which I look at Nathan Buckley's career and he made a grand final. Look at Ross Lyon's coaching career and he made several grand finals with different. There are coaches that are capable, but yeah, it, it's a hard formula. You don't know how the players are going to respond to a coach. Like, David Noble clearly didn't get along with his players, but he had all the right credentials. Some just don't work and some and some do. And if you're Essendon, who's had a history of failure for, apparently if you're an 18-year-old kid, you would have graduated school and never seen Essendon play, win a final. Oh, that's how long it's been, 18 years of life. You need to find a coach who you know can get you to finals and win you a final. Which I think, I don't know why they haven't appointed Ross Lyon yet, to be honest. He is the best coach out there sitting there, and I would have him over Ken Hinckley every day. Coaches adapt. Michael Voss came in and got smashed at Brisbane, and now he's killing it at Carlton. Like, Ross Lyon can change. People can change. And yeah, surround him with the right people, and he might be more offensive. I think if he doesn't end up Essendon coach, I think they've missed out, in my opinion. So hopefully that answers your question. Nailed it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, we did get a couple of um, trade questions, but um, we'll probably just address them later on anyway. So I'll shout out to Millsy23, ask where Rory Lobb is going to be, and Sabrina Cal- 
Carmella asked where Josh Dunkley's going to be, but we'll touch on that after. Yeah, we will. All right, so now we're moving on to the section where we're going to answer these questions anyway. So trade talk. Now, I've just got a few points here from things I've read uh, from articles that got released earlier today. So uh, let's just kick off with, I'll just spitball some names out. You can think about where they're going to be going, where they're going to be heading. Okay, let's do it. So obviously this one's pretty big. Everyone knows this anyway. Taranto being offered a seven-year deal, talks a seven-year deal worth five million from Richmond. Five million? Seven years, five million. Yeah, so seven fifty ish, eight fifty ish a year. I think that's a good deal. He is a very good player. Um, he's only twenty four years old. Seven years at seven fifty doesn't sound like a risk to me. I mean, he's had a few. He's had a few injuries, didn't he? Is he had concussion or just shoulder injuries? Is he, he had, had? He had some back issues as well. Back this issues. Year. Yeah. Um, I don't think that'll affect him too much. I think good deal by Richmond. Um, I wish we got him at Collingwood. Just while we're here, if you have Tim Taranto in your fantasy teams, it's time to get him out. He is His fantasy output is going to start going down. He is a sell-high option right now. Trick someone into thinking he might keep forward status next year at Richmond, and you cash out on him as soon as you can. He is going to be a black hole in your fantasy team next year. I concur. I think Taranto is a sell. Um, we'll try and mix a bit of fantasy in with this at the same time. I think, what's he average? 90? I think he would have averaged almost 100 this year, but like the way no, I look- in Richmond. What's oh, he average? 90? He's saying, he's saying, what is he going to average What's next he going to average Richmond? if he goes to Richmond? Oh, if Prime Dustin Martin was averaging like 95 to 105, like in those three years, he was a monster. Tim Taranto averages 90. Yeah, well, he averaged whatever Prestia did. Very similar player. Yeah, 90. Yeah, so I think that's a trade him out if you can. And from that, uh, closely related with Taranto potentially coming in at five mil for seven years. Uh, Richmond have also potentially been linked to getting Jacob Hopper as well, along with Taranto. And Cochin and Rewalt have come out and they're going to accept pay cuts, which uh, I'm not sure if this figure's total uh, or per player, but $300,000 less than their current deals. Um, obviously, that's going to be making some salary crap room there. Uh, wait, who did you say, Jacob Hopper? So they, so yeah, Taranto and Hopper potentially gone to Richmond I and Rewall, yeah, Rewall and um, Cochin taking the pay cut. Hopper's average. The the pay cut I think is per player because I did read that um, Rewalt's only going to get three hundred thousand, and I would have assumed he was on at least six hundred. So they might be having a fair bit of dosh left in their salary cap. But like Craig said, Hopper's pretty average. Like. He hasn't he, done he, anything. He was a rotation player at GWS. Yeah, he's played oh, 10, 13, 21, 23, 17, 23, 7. Like, his averages are... Bernie came in late this season. He had 26, 26 touches. He's averaged twice, three marks. He doesn't average half a goal a game. Like, clearances, he had a good couple of years. Like, if he plays to his 26 touches at a game, yeah, he can be a really good player for you. Um, the only way that I think he's got value at Richmond is that let's shy Bolton play more forward. <laughs> yeah, he needs to be right in the coal face, um, right getting the ball out and dishing it out. 
Oh, I just don't think he's... If I looked at his career now at 25 years and seven months old, 114 games, I couldn't tell you one good game he's played off the top of my head. They're probably just compensating just in case because they're losing Dusty. Like, they know that. Cochin's got a year left. Like, they might as well try to bring in at least some people who can fill a role. Like, I get why they're doing it, but at the same time, it is Richmond. They could probably attract a better player than Jacob Hopper in the offseason. Has that been confirmed that, yo, Dusty? Because I heard the radio segment the other day that um, they're going to have that chat at the end of the year, but I was uh, under the impression after listening to something this week that he will still probably be at Richmond next year. Well, it's not confirmed, but like the thing is, like I honestly feel like Dustin Martin probably feels like he's already achieved n- enough in football, and there's probably a chance that he might retire at the end of this year. Like he just doesn't even look like he cares. Like and obviously his mental health is coming first. Like Richmond have gave him the space, but realistically, like Dustin Martin's not the same player anyway. Like next year he might be more of a stay-at-home forward than this dynamic, explosive midfielder that everyone thinks of the player when they think of Dusty anyway. So either way, you're still losing that genuine midfield superstar anyway. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I'm happy to say just the hopper. Pass on him if I were them. All right, also from GWS, Bobby Hill and Tanner Bruin are expected to request trades away from GWS. So you're going to have four players down from GWS. They're already paying their players, we talked about last week, uh, way too much with the long-term contracts and big contracts. So is these are these people leaving a result of salary cap pressure? Yes. Yeah, probably, and GWS are crap. That's probably also why they're leaving you in the middle of nowhere. Um, like we said with, who did we say with before? Someone going to, oh, Stinky Saints. Why would you go to Stinky Saints and play in front of 20,000 people every week when you can play for a Richmond, Collingwood, Carlton, like West Coast, whatever, in front of 80, 90,000 people every week? Like it's where people go to die their careers. You get good money, but yeah. And they're average players anyway, Bruin and Bobby Hill. They need to do a lot more before they warrant real serious talk. So just on this, like, because people have asked, obviously people have asked for us to put in some more fantasy content. So I do have another name here for you. People may not be expecting him, but next year I would be willing to take a punt on him. But the man himself, Toby Green. GWS are literally losing three midfielders. If you go back and look at the history of games when Toby Green played as a midfielder, he is an animal. So if you go back to 2019, so that was the last time he played a decent stint in the midfield. He averaged, oh, well, he scored 144, 115, 126, 146, 142, and 99 all at the back end of the season because they were desperate on midfielders. You've got to remember Toby Green is going to be their captain. They're going to rely on him next year. Yes, he's a good forward, but if the ball's not going there and he's not impacting games, they just lost three people they want to rely on in the midfield. If Toby Green moves into the midfield next year, watch out. He's an animal. He goes forward. He's dangerous when he's resting, and then when he's got his tank again, he'll go back in the midfield and be a superstar player. I like it. I don't think they have enough good forwards to take Toby Green and put him in the midfield, but I think you can't expect much from GWS next year, so why not? Who's next? Uh, next, I read that Jackson now possibly staying at the D's still hasn't made a decision, but they think that he could be there next year. This is ludicrous. I can't believe this is even talk. He's signed, sealed, and delivered to Fremantle. He's going to Fremantle. The only reason he wouldn't go to Fremantle is if... I can't even think why a reason he wouldn't go there. They're paying you more. 
you're going to the team you supported with as a kid growing up. For him to backflip now would be crazy. He he's gone. If Luke Jackson doesn't go to Fremantle, it's going to be the worst thing that happens in the AFL from a roll-on effect because Brody Grundy's going to go to Geelong and Geelong are going to be so much better next year than they were this year and they're just going to start pumping clubs by even more. Yeah, I think the roll-on effect would be huge and for Fremantle, I think it'd be a disaster. Not that Luke Jackson is elite and I don't know honestly what he'd bring to their club, but if they're going to lose Rory Lobb, they need to stick someone tall up there. So Luke Jackson's not a bad option if he can uh, keep improving on his grand final, Rick, and uh, have a much better year than he did this year. So I think he's gone. All this talk is just fear-mongering, but he's gone. Uh, Speaking of Frio, Darcy Tucker. So Clarko's apparently met with him uh, during the week, and the Roos are apparently in pole position to land him if he does live Frio. Good, you can have him. He can't even get a game in Fremantle, so see you later. Apparently, everyone's going to North Melbourne. Yeah, the Clarkson effect, which we will touch on later. Yeah, or is that I believe we the- are. Well, that's sort of all what this is anyway, but we'll touch on that yeah, later. We're going to speak Melbourne about review. So yeah, we'll, so we'll that. speak about that later. But uh, uh, I've got another one here, Joe Hannison. So apparently he's been offered a fairly solid offer from Gold Coast. Um, can't get a game at halfback because Bailey Dale and Caleb Daniel, obviously, tearing it up there. Say something nice because I'm not going to say nice things about him. So this podcast, we've really been bashing on people playing one game and making a career of it. Jason Johannesson winning the Norm Smith medal in 2015 or 2016. That pretty much was the only reason he even got a contract. He's a spud. He could go to Gold Coast and rekindle his career, but I don't see him as a player that's going to bounce back, really. He he had one good year other than winning the Norm Smith medal. And then just other than that, he's just been hopeless at football. He, He is crap. He didn't even the best player on the ground that day. Tom Boyd was the best player on the ground that day. Liam Pickin was a better player on the ground that day. I can name half a dozen that were better on the ground that day. He is such a rubbish footballer, and I can't believe the Gold Coast would pay him three years at 29 years old. He'll be 30 to start the football next year. So start next year at 30 years old, and you want to give him three years on a substantial deal. Gold Coast will forever be shit if this deal goes through. It is the stupidest deal I've heard of in my life. And I can't believe this is even a thing. Like, wow, you are reaching for... I can't even explain how dumb. I can't believe I was reading this. Oh, yeah. He is not even a wish version of Isaac Rankin. He is below that. He's not. I can't believe... If Trent Cochin's getting paid 300000 and... Jack Revolt's getting 300000 They are being undersold compared to what Joe and Joe Henderson is. He couldn't even tie their boots. At, and they're five years older. They're almost in the ground. And there's no way that he can be paid more than them. It, it's, it's outrageous. I, I was surprised <sighs> when I read that... Um, sorry, going back to the Cochin and Rewa, I was surprised I read when they were going to get three hundred. I thought they'd be worth more than that. No, I mean you got to, They're old, so they're going to take pay old. cuts. They've been paid handsomely before, but yeah, but a three hundred thousand dollar pay cut is a big pay cut. They're yeah, it doing, is. They're doing the James Harden move. They're taking less Team money success. to go for success. Team success. Yeah. They want to try and sneak one at the end of their career, so that's smart. But Johannesson averaged ten disposals last year, eleven this year, fifteen the year before. I I don't even understand this. This is crazy. 
Yeah, nah. This is yep. <laughs> All right, we'll move on to the next one. Um, Please do. <laughs> the last one, last name I got here is Dersma. Um, is he going to stay or go? So he struggled this year. He's only played eleven games, and he's only played fifty-seven games in the four seasons at Port Adelaide. Is he leaving? And if he does leave, where's he going? I mean, Port hit on two out of three. Butters is elite, and Connor Rosie is elite. They, you don't, you don't get them all right. Dersma, where's he going to go? Who needs an average wingman? Is it is it going to be incorporated with the Dunkley trade? Yeah, I mean, it, it could be incorporated with the Dunkley trade. They probably need a, a wingman and a young one that has potential. Personally, I think if Western Bulldogs are going to go after a port player, I reckon they're going to want Georgiades, not Dersma. They'll probably want another forward rather than a midfield. Western Bulldogs has ample amounts of midfielders. They don't need another mid. They'd want a forward. you got Jamara Ugohagen, Aaron Norton, Josh Bruce. You've already got three key forwards, which is more than most clubs have. Like, you think Josh and they're going to get Rory Lobb as well, so they're going to have four. Like, Georgiades would be the one, but they just need more midfielders because the midfielders they have can't get it done on like a weekly basis, not this year. Yeah, like Craig said, I think Dersma will be at Port, not because Port aren't trying to trade him or anything. I just don't think anyone will have enough interest in him. I got a couple more names here. We didn't talk about Josh Dunkley, or are we talking about that later? Are we talking about that at all? Well, we've talked about Dunkley in the previous podcasts. Yeah, him coming to Port Adelaide on, what do they want to pay him? Seven fifty a year? Great. 50 Six fifty a year, that's a bargain. Oh, I think that's absolute it's a bargain. Five that years is a steal. Sign years, me up. Massive oh, steal. Massive steal. Five years at six fifty. He's the best player. I was reading this article here and he is elite. He's elite. Yeah. And he we've just seen on the weekend he shines in big games as well. Yeah, he can he's he a big can game player. Up, he can match up to the big games. If someone's gonna in the midfield gonna get you fourteen tackles, what else, like I'd have him at Collingwood over many a people in on, the thing. On top of, boys, we spoke about last week, Josh Dunkley's a neglected midfielder at Western Bulldogs. They don't even give him the opportunity he deserves. Like like, like I said, I, I agree. Like I said, yep, Mark Spontempelli's their best midfielder. This weekend, he proved why. I still think Bailey Smith is a better midfielder just because Bailey Smith has this insane gas tank. He's super aggressive. He's thirstier than any player I've ever seen before. He, like, gets in his, like, play, like teammates' face when they don't give him the ball. But Josh Dunkley, he is a player who just works hard. He tackles. He will ruck for Western Bulldogs. He'll just do whatever. And, yeah, I really want Josh Dunkley at Port next year. Yeah, I think that's as good as the done deal as well, and I think that's a great pickup for Port. That helps him a lot. Uh, any other names I had on here? Brody Grundy. We'll see where he ends up. He's going to be a Jackson flow-on effect. Um, but he's a top three or four ruckman in the league if he's up and going and gets his body right. So... But we need money at Collingwood, so we've got to get rid of him. All right, I'm going to throw out some names here, boys. So I did put out some polls. Um, so we'll just agree or disagree with what the unanimous vote was. Um, so we did, Josh Dunkley was the first one. People said yes to Port with 62%. Agree. Agree. So Jacob Hopper, this was obviously before all the Tiger news come out strong. So there was a 55% for Geelong. Yeah, I think if he doesn't end up at Tigers, he ends up at Geelong. Apparently, they're pretty far down the line with him. Yeah, I've heard that they're the front runners, but they're just Richmond are going to try to tack on a, a trade for him. So I reckon he goes at Geelong. So Tom Mitchell, forty percent for Collingwood. Agreed. Yeah, this is um, an interesting one. I 
I think if he gets his Tom Mitchell role at Collingwood just dishing the ball out, this is a great pickup for, they said, a third rounder. <laughs> I'll take him in there. We're right in the window. Happy with that. So pick one. So is it going to be at North Melbourne? People said yes. Yeah, no one trades pick one. Who are you going to get that's worth pick one? Like, we talked about this last week, didn't we? We talked about deals for pick one or something. Let's wait for the would-you-rathers tonight, Craig, and you tell me if you'd trade oh, pick one okay. in some of these Fair trades. Fair enough. Yeah, they keep pick one. All right, Jordan Degoe, 41% for Collingwood. Yeah, he's yeah. not going anywhere. He stays. Especially, sorry, especially after this season, uh, Collingwood season, he definitely stays. I hope he leaves because... I want him at Port, but he's not going to come to Port. No, you're not, yeah, you're not going to get port. Dunkley and Degoe. Um, Dan McStay, is Mick gone to Collingwood? Oh, he is, and I'm not overly happy about it, but hey. <laughs> um, so Rory Lobb was a tie, so between Fremantle and Bulldogs on 36% each. I don't Bulldogs. know if the Bulldogs need him, yeah. but to be honest. He'd- I think they like the fact that he's also a backup Ruckman. Well, I think that is that is a better backup Ruckman chance. But what old mate Sam Darcy's like, why can't he be a backup Ruckman? No, I want to see Aaron Norton in the midfield. I don't think he'll be going uh, anywhere. They reckon he might be moved to centre-half back to cater for all these forwards. That'd be criminal. What, Norton into the back line? Yeah, he moved to centre-half back so then they can have Darcy, Lobb, Bruce, Eugle, Hagen up forward. they got too many tools up there, they reckon. And I was like... That'd destroy Norton's... Though, um, so you're saying that Luke Beveridge is going to be at Port Adelaide next year after Western Bulldogs sack him? Yeah, well, <laughs> that's ludicrous if Lawn goes back to centre half back. Well, he was a centre half back growing up, like he came through all the ranks as a centre half back. They moved him to forward. Yeah, I know, but look how he's performed. Yeah, I, he's, he's I agree. He's elite as a forward. What and- if he's Himmelberg 2.0 and he just becomes the best defender you've ever seen? <laughs> well, I think it's a possibility. I think. We'll wait and see if Hillberg 2.0 performs next year once everyone knows he's a defender and he doesn't surprise everyone by moving back there and no one has any footage or any work game plan to put into him. We'll see next year that he won't be near as dominant. Um, And the last one for me, boys, this was obviously once again prior to a lot of the news coming out, but Willie Rioli to Port. Yes. Yeah, that's a done deal. I think that's a really good deal for Port. I think that being sarcastic no i think that's a really good deal for port he he's an elite small forward uh or elite is strong because i was about to say i don't know i'm not sure that i'd use charlie cameron i think he's an average forward at best he he can be good in his grand final years him and liam ryan formed an amazing duo he kicked 30 goals a year as a small forward no problems and tackle um and the thing is too like coming back to his hometown he's going to want to play his heart, his heart will be in it a lot more yeah, as well. he's got family. I think it's a good deal for Port. I think Robbie Gray out, Fantasia injured. Motlop out. Motlop out. I think he mm. can definitely feel that role. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge fan of this, but I was talking to another Port Adelaide supporter today and they said, what if this is his Charlie Cameron chance and he does move to a place where he wants to go to, puts more effort in and actually becomes a better football player. So... Shout out to Willie Rioli, but I do hope you become better than what you've produced, particularly this year, and hopefully you don't get suspended for another long time while we're paying you, but welcome to the family. Yeah, I think fresh start's what he needs, and I think you'll find that he's a lot better than what you thought watching him live. All right, any more trade talk? I think that is about it for now. I'm going to move on to the next segment. Rick's would-you-rathers back this week, boys? 
Um, so just on this, earlier in the podcast, Craig did say he wouldn't be trading pick one. I'm interested to see if any of these do sway his mind or even your mind, Pete. All right, All right let's so, go. So first of all, I think it was Nathan Buckley and someone else. They rattled off five players that would you trade just this player for pick one. So we'll just quickly go through these ones. So Luke Jackson. No, not for just pick one. No. Cozzy Pickett. Nope. Nope. Zach Butters. Yes. Yes. Harry Mackay. Yes. Yes. Or Darcy Moore. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, there you go. On the back of Darcy Moore's weekend was elite down back. Yeah. So I think on the radio, they only said, well, it was split, but Zach Butters and Harry Mackay were the only two that you were unanimous. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I mean, those two are clearly unanimous. Well, you'd, you'd clearly take a pick and a one. Yeah. Young midfielder that, yeah, yeah it's playing you'd enough. happily give up pick one for that. Yep. All right. So Adelaide Crows. So keep in mind, you're the coach of North Melbourne. Would you rather pick one in this year's draft or would you rather this package? So Josh Rochelle and pick 23. Or pick one. Yeah. I would rather Josh Rochelle and pick 23. Agreed. All right. Cam Rayner and pick 13. Pick one. Mm. I don't rate Cam Rayner. That's just yeah, me personally. No, I'll take, I'll take Rayner and pick 13. All right. So Will Setterfield, Paddy Dow and pick 30. No. Nope. Jordan Dugowie. Yes. No, because I don't think he really helps North Melbourne now. Pick five and Peter Wright. No. No. Max Holmes and pick 18. But, uh, no. No. Matt Rowe. No. No. Not gonna, a chance. I'm going to be sneaky and ask the second one for Gold Coast. Noah Anderson. Yes. Yes. So for GWS, Lockie Whitfield and pick 22. Yes. You just said they need a rebounding defender. On top of Lockie Whitfield is anything you want him to be. Yeah. Yeah, Lucky Whitfield still has enough in him, yep. So James Sicily in pick 24? Yeah, I mean, that, I think that'd be good for North Melbourne, yeah. I'd take that. No, I wouldn't. You think Ben Mackay's enough? No, but I think you can draft a key defender to go with him that will have more in the tank than, than Sicily does at 27 or whatever. So for Melbourne, Jack Bowie and James Jordan? Nope, wouldn't nope. even consider that. I'd be like, excuse me? From Port Adelaide, pick eight and Xavier Dersma? If you think Xavier Dersma would be the player he was in his first year, yes. I'm going to say no because of his current form and it, he can't even get a game at the moment. The only other thing with Xavier Dersma is his brother apparently is an absolute animal. And if you've got Xavier Dersma, there's a chance that his brother is probably more likely to be happy where I, his brother is as well. From all I hear, his brother is a way better player than Dersma is. Um, yeah, I think you want the other brother. Yeah, but like Xavier Dersman will help you get the other brother. I mean, theoretically, but you can't say when you're drafted. Like, you just drafted where you're drafted. All right. Richmond, Shy Bolton and pick 29. Yes. Yes. St. Kilda, Max King. Yes. Yes. Sydney, pick 16, pick 17 and their future first. So you'll get three first round picks. No. No. From West Coast, pick two and Alex Witherdren, giving you that rebounding defender I spoke about. Witherdren had an enormous year. But he couldn't even get a game at the end. He was squeezed yeah. out of West Coast. So yeah. obviously we're missing something. But for pick two and Witherden, that would help them a lot. So yes, to drop yep. back one spot. And then last of all, Here Bailey Smith. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yes, I would trade pick yes. one for Bailey Smith, 100%. That's, I'd, yeah, there's probably about three players from the Bulldogs I'd trade for pick one. Yeah, oh, I've got them written down here. I pretty much had the exact same ones as you, um, except I would have done Dugowie with Pete. Um, I did think about the Peter Wright one, like he's become yeah, a genuine I've, forward. I've actually had a look at that. He's only 25 years old, so you're going to get five good years out of him if he plays like he did this year and 
what was the pick that was with it? Pick five. So you're only sliding yeah, back four yeah, picks. Yeah, I would do that at 25, and he kicked almost 50 goals this year. Yeah, I would. I think that would help them a lot at 25. Yeah, other than that, I was pretty much the same as you boys. So, yeah, so pick one is tradable, first of all, but obviously <sighs> it's going to take a big deal. Do I think they're going to do it? I don't think they're going to. Um, Alistair Clarkson is really big, though, on not using first-round picks like through his time. He did trade away a lot of Hawthorne's early picks, and they drafted well late. So whether that's going to be a part of his strategy at North Melbourne, you don't know. Um, because, yeah, I think he kind of is going to want to make an impact, and pick one does have a lot of value, so you just never know. Bringing in DHF at pick one and another player, well, it'll be pick two after Will Ashcroft goes. But Yeah, well, who's, pick- who's going to go as as North Melbourne's pick one if they keep it? Well, there's a few names on the list. George Wardlaw, this player, we haven't seen any footage of him this year because he's been injured all year, but apparently he's a monster in the midfield. Uh, they talked about Harry Sheasel, who's had some ridiculous games of like six goals and 40 touches. There's a couple of players and Elijah Sardis, but I don't think he's worth that pick. So I think it's it's down to about two other players. I think anyone they go midfield, defender, forward, you name it, like anyone is a, is a hit for them. But I think what they're talking about is splitting the picks. So if I split pick one for an eight and a 16, yeah, I'd do that. Um. Just while you're on that. So I didn't want to do it because these were all official picks. But you've got to remember, so Gold Coast have, what pick do they have? But they're going to also get the Crows first round pick. Yeah. So they're going to have two top 10 draft picks. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what ones they are off the top of my head, but that is realistically the only close enough picks because I think it's going to be like pick six and pick eight or something to get pick one off of their hands. Yeah, I think North Melbourne have pick one and then not another pick to 55 and they need draft picks. So the way I see them getting rid of pick one is for another top 10 pick and another pick in the teens or the 20s or even two picks in the 20s. Like Richmond have a whole bunch um, there. So I think, yeah, splitting it's not the worst idea, but for picks, not players. There would be no player I don't think that someone would get rid of that would satisfy pick one. Yeah. Oh, I did miss one. Um so, Fremantle, would you trade pick one for Sean Darcy? Oh, that's an interesting question. I don't think you can trade pick one for a Ruckman. Mm. No. Unless it is Luke Jackson on potential alone. Sean Darcy... You said no to Jackson. Yeah, I did. I said yes if he plays on his current form. You oh, said no. Oh, yeah, that's the other one. I would trade pick one for Luke Jackson. Yeah, I said yes. Oh, yeah, anyway. already, I thought you already asked that one. Yeah, yeah I did. did. That was from the radio, though. They were the Radio 5. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah I would I would on potential of Luke Jackson. The thing with Luke Jackson is they took him at pick three and he won the Rising Star. So, yeah. obviously, he should have been taken at pick one in his draft year. Well, well, well maybe. There's been a lot of players that definitely won the Rising Star, not from pick one. Um, the only other thing that we have obviously skipped over here is Craig's mate, Will Ashcroft. He is really the number one pick. So, North Melbourne have the number two pick this year. If Will Ashcroft didn't nominate Brisbane, there's no way that you no, would trade that pick. But essentially, would, you're trading pick two now. So that yeah. is the other reason I think that North Melbourne may be willing to dish that off. But if Will Ashcroft was on the table for them, no chance that they dish that pick off. I agree. If you had Will Ashcroft in there with LDU, Simpkin, and JHF, that's a, starting to look like a real potent midfield. And a potent midfield for years to come as well. Yeah, correct. Like that's, that's a long-term midfield They're right just there. all beasts. Like They love the football. Uh and, and that's what you want out of your midfield. That's how you get your Oliver Petrarca, Brayshaw, Viney group, your Bulldogs group. What are they? Bailey Smith, Bontempelli. Like you need three or four animals in there and 
that would be a scary midfield in years to come. Well, if you if you're Stewie Jew at Gold Coast, would you personally trade pick six and eight for pick one to North Melbourne? Yeah, I think they would. I don't know if they really need for a whole lot. I think their list is not bad, but if you're going to get they a really elite player versus two maybe players at pick six and eight, yeah, hundred percent, you get your pick of the. That trade kind of suits both teams, really, because like you said, if North Melbourne don't have another pick to pick 50 or something, they're in that stage where they need the players. Apparently, and- Gold Coast have like six picks in the top 30 or something ridiculous like that, so they can get rid of six and eight for one and still have four picks in the top 30. Um, if I was Gold Coast, though, I wouldn't be trading the picks because I'd be trying to target some in the trade period now to improve your list right now. Like They've already got a lot of young, good play. Um and they've also got people waiting in the wings that can't get a game now that were early draft picks. Um, so if I was Gold Coast, I'd be targeting ready-made players now. I wouldn't be going after Jason Johannesson, but like actual legitimate AFL players. Um, and then obviously those two early picks, you can trade for something. Like you just lost Isaac Rankin, get back in there and you try to get a star back. Not let's go to the draft and not make finals again and again and again. They need players now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Gold Coast have just a lot of picks at the top of the table and I think they need to bring in ready-made talent or elite elite talent, which you get at the top of the draft. So I think, yeah, they can't afford to give it away. All right, we spoke about this three to four weeks ago, maybe five weeks ago, but uh, I didn't get to see too much of the games physically. I listened to a lot on the radio this week because of work, but... Craig has a bee in his bonnet again this week for the umpiring. I do, and I think Craig McRae couldn't have made it any clear what constitutes a holding the ball was a dozen decisions on Saturday afternoon at four, whatever, that Geelong got holding the ball and the umpire refused to pay it. Now, it is outrageous. In the female game, you would have paid all of them because they were there to be paid. Um, Mitch Duncan had one where they said he didn't really have the ball. Well, he's had it for 10 seconds just floating around in his hands. And uh, I'm not happy at all with how that game was umpired in particular. Um, I think they missed a lot. And I think the overall umpiring wasn't bad, but there were some in the Richmond-Brisbane game, which I thought were just atrocious calls. I just think they're missing a lot. And I know it's finals, but yeah. I don't think that the umpiring stand on the weekend was up to scratch. And I am annoyed because it should have been a better standard for a finals. Um, The games were close, but were they umpired the right way? I think that's a different thing in itself. So I think there's a lot to watch this weekend in the umpiring, and I think they need to get that holding the ball decision fixed and fixed ASAP on what constitutes a holding the ball. So Yeah, we spoke about it like, probably six weeks ago now, holding the ball. If you have prior opportunity to get rid of the ball and you don't and you get tackled, it's holding the ball. If you have possession of the ball, you get tackled and you do not hand pass it or you do not kick it, that is an illegal disposal that is holding the ball. The rule is so black and white in the rules. It's just they make the decision of the ball come out in the tackle. No, it didn't. The tackle caused the player to incorrectly dispose of the ball and you just held the ball, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, you're always going to have this conversation. It's always going to be coming up with when you've got your first round of finals and when you've got all the games within, well, the longest, the highest one was 22 points. But other than that, all of them were in single figures apart from the the one other game. So you're always going to have this conversation considering um, it's going to be close games and there's teams that 
going to lose and get knocked out, and they're going to they're going to blame umpires. But Craig's face right now tells me that he's reading some sort of shocking news. It's not shocking news. There's like there's like a, a meme has come up, or it's just been posted all over my Facebook of the Bulldogs Mad Monday. Oh and yeah, one of the players in the photo, Liver, and I know who else that is is picking up someone who's just plastered. This is the one that um Jake sent us. Oh yeah, what what? Who's the player getting picked up? He has a moustache. I can't even tell who it is, but Zane Cordy, by the looks of it, even is getting picked up by Liber and someone else. A, why is Liber not going the hardest? He is notorious for going the hardest. He is the loosest unit out there. Like his tattoos are just ridiculous. And B, why are you not dressing up? I think just it's hilarious. No, but they, there was speaking of dressing up. There was someone on the news the other week that um they put a kind of blanket. They didn't want that happening. Ugh, I couldn't believe that they are killing off the Mad Monday. You need a Mad Monday. For 22 weeks of the year, you probably don't touch a beer and probably even longer. And to blow off some steam after what is a long COVID-induced unknown year where you get flogged on the training track, God, have one week where you get, or one day is all you ask, where you get to blow off steam and have a beer. Fuck that. Everyone deserves that. I'm sorry. You have a Christmas party at work. This is just a Christmas party in September. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You deserve it. All right. No more diversions. I've just got one more thing. Um, so <laughs> Damien, Damien Hardwick come out and said, obviously, Tom Lynch did kick a point. Oh, the match review baby. system called it right. He's having a hissy fit about it. But the thing that he has said is it wasn't probably conclusive in the video, so it should have been an umpire's call, which is the rules that we've established. They either need to do umpires review more or make that the final call or just go back the old-fashioned way, have umpires call it. But he said the biggest impact, what they don't realize is this will cost the Richmond Football Club millions of dollars, like in the TV rights, memberships, like blah, 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 blah. What do you think on that? Personally, I think we're using the arc too much and the system is really shithouse. There was someone come out during the week on the radio and said, basically, I can watch two flies get together on a cricket a cricket ball that's spinning at fucking 145 kilometers an hour, but we can't clearly see a football cross the goal line. Like, the technology that they're using is just horrible. The angles are horrible. I personally don't like the arc. I think it needs to be killed until we, unless they're going to actually get some good cameras and good angles. It's I think it's shithouse. <laughs> I also have an opinion on this matter. If you are five meters out from goal on a not very hard angle, why are you kicking a banana if you're paid a million dollars a year to be a key forward for Richmond? What a dickhead. Why was he so lazy thinking he'd just be able to set back and slot that in? Go through your routine, kick the ball through the middle of the goals, and you win the game, you idiot. Like, and why are you kicking it five meters out from goal over the top of the goalpost? Does it need to go that high? Honestly, it is the biggest beat up. Damien Hardwick should be taking him out to the training track, putting him five meters out on no angle and tell him to hit the ball through the middle of the goals. And I bet he kicks it 10 out of 10 times. Like, if you don't care, that's the result you get, Tom Lynch. I love you as a footballer, but you fucked up. Um, Just on that, like Pete said, I agree. I think just scrap the art, go the old-fashioned way. The umpires get paid their money to do a job. They've been doing it so good for, what, the last 147 years, and in the last two years they've brought the arc in, and all it's done is 
cause people to have whinges and hissy fits. Just trust them to do their job. Well, the, like I was saying, the, the Arcs technology is, is horrible. Someone during the week was actually telling me, they said they don't, they don't like the idea of the Arc because of the how crap the quality is. And they were saying, if, you, if you're worried about the decisions and the umpire making the wrong one, then maybe bring in a couple of more goal umpires and have them solely watch the line so that the goal umpire isn't having to watch the trajectory of the ball, whether it crosses a line, whether it's touched, who's it touched by, is it off the boot, is it off the foot, that umpire can just go, they can focus on one thing and the other umpires there that can watch the goal, they can just watch the specific line and the flight of the ball. Yeah, that's a good point. Like like you even said, it looks like they're filming off of the original iPhone, number one. Yeah. And number two, why wouldn't you have the cameras just angling up from the goal somehow where you can literally see if it was within the posts? in comparison to these weird angles that they have with three nupties up in the middle of nowhere just watching the footage backwards and forwards a hundred times and then, yeah, yeah it's just yeah. a bit stupid. Like, And the, the person I was speaking to during the week, they compared it to tennis. Like they have the people, just those umpires are just standing, staring at that line. And yeah, they do get wrong sometimes, but majority of the, like most of the time they're smack on because their only sole job is to watch that specific line. They don't have to take in all the other factors. They're just watching that. So I'd rather see one or two more goal umpires standing there just watching that as opposed to this stupid arc system. If it was my decision, I've always been a really big fan of one rule change that they haven't ever done. But I feel like if it hits the post and goes through the goals, it's a goal. If it hits the post and goes through the points, it's a point. If it hits the goalpost and bounces back in, play on. Like it would eliminate all of this. It would actually deliver more excitement. There'd be more goal of the years from it. It would just be better round experience than this iPhone two camera filming stupid angles. And yeah, I agree. I'd love that rule. If it hits the post and comes, but it comes back in play, then so be it. And if it hits the post and goes through, well, it went through. You still got it through the middle of the sticks or the point. So I agree. I mean, that would be elite. They should try that in the. In the NAB Cup or whatever it's called now. Rick, reach out. Rick, reach out! All right, Rick, we've had a few successful weeks. Please tell me that that trend is continuing. Yeah, so obviously we didn't have a guest on this week. That's pretty obvious at this point because it's the last segment now. Um, but I did reach out. I said there'd be a shout-out to Miami earlier. So we have the first ever... AFL Port Adelaide player drafted at pick three, Hannah Ewings. She's also from Miami. I've reached out to her. She's agreed to come on the podcast. We're just teeing up a date and then she'll be on. So our first AFLW guest, our first Port Adelaide guest, our first Miami guest. We're ticking off a lot of things here, boys. 